Grab your Bibles with me, if you will. Open up to Psalm, the 33rd chapter. I'm going to read several scriptures tonight, so don't feel like you have to flip to every single one with me. But I want to read several, several scriptures and just talk to you about uh, uh, the Bible and the Declaration of Independence. The Bible and the Declaration of Independence. And we're going to look uh, at, a, at some unique things that you may not have known. Uh, but some of you may have, but we're going to open up the scripture and see how these two things are interwoven together. Psalm chapter 33, verse 12 says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I'm going to show you some things from our history, uh, all the way dating back to our founding fathers. And in in just a few moments, I'm going to prove to you why I believe, uh, not even the full scope, just a a quick overview overview of some of the reasons why I believe that America is a Christian nation. And I'm firmly convinced, and you can't convince me otherwise, that one of the reasons we have enjoyed the blessings of God like no other nation probably in the history of the world, no other republic in the history of the world has ever seen, is because, as this verse just said, Will, if you put it back up there for me, Psalm 33, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now I want you to note there, he says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Every nation under the sun has a God. So it's not just blessed is the nation who has a God. Not just blessed is the nation whose God is Buddha, whose God is uh, Muhammad or one of these other gods. Uh, It's none of those things. Blessed is the nation whose God is a cow. It's none of those things. It's blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The Lord was a specific title here to refer to a specific God. The reason that America has enjoyed the blessings that we have is not because we've had the greatest politicians in the world leading us, not choosing sides. It's because our God has been the Lord. And if we're not careful, ladies and gentlemen, as our God ceases to be the Lord and starts to become other things, other gods, Our nation will continue to plummet out of the blessings of God and into a place that we don't want to go. I want to challenge every Christian in this house today, every Christian that's watching on the internet right now, wherever you may be, to make sure that your God is the Lord. Because it doesn't start, this type of thing doesn't start at the top and work its way down. This type, uh, this, this issue where a a nation's God is the Lord starts with individuals and works its way up to our government. If we're expecting our government to dictate it, we're going at this thing from the wrong angle. It starts with you and I. It starts with our family. It starts with our community. And then it builds from there. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Can I get a great big amen? Amen. Today, Americans will celebrate. Uh, And so the question then becomes is, why do we even have church on July 4th. This is the birth date of our, our country. Why, why should we combine our worship and, and a national holiday? And it's just simply because, as I said to you, I believe that God ordained America. 
And though we're, not, uh, though we're far from holiness or righteousness right now, and though we see an obvious decline in character and moral conscience, nevertheless, America still has a purpose, and there is hope in God. There's not a whole lot of hope in, in a single person or even a single political party. I believe that the solution is within the reach of the church. You find it in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Many of you will know it well. If you don't know it, you'll recognize it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I wish we had time tonight just to break down this scripture. If my people, he's talking to the church. If my people, speaking of the church, will humble themselves... And pray and seek my face. I believe that this year I've had an incredible opportunity to travel to a number of different churches between our campuses and other churches and and other places. And what I've seen in every church is I, I hear the heart of the leaders. And when I walk in the church, I hear God calling people to prayer. Feel there's a call to prayer in our nation. There's a call to prayer in our church. And I want to challenge you to pray more than you've ever prayed before. If my people, the people of God, the Christians, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. But then we have to do something here. We have to actually turn from our wicked ways. Again, he is not talking to the heathens. He's talking to the church. Church, turn from their wicked ways. Now that's a shot in the face. Then... I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. This is a challenging scripture. I want to read to you a piece of our preamble because it's my belief that Christian and biblical concepts concepts shaped our government and our nation. It it helped to shape us. So I I want to read to you a, a little bit of our preamble. When in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth that we hold these truths to be self-evident. Here they are. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their powers from the consent of the governed. That whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. Laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness... Uh, prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should be changed, should not be changed for light and transient causes. I want you to go back up here and notice with me. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Famous lines. Surely we all remember them to some degree from our history classes. That all men are created equal. That all men are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, 
Let's look at these up and see if we can find these in the Word of God. First, the words, the, the, the word, the preamble said, all men are created equal. Let's go over to Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and 35. You can follow along on the screen with me. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality. How much partiality? But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. Our forefathers coined it, all men are created equal. Peter said the same thing. God shows no partiality. Wow. John chapter 3 verse 16. Most of you know it. How's it go? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that how many? Whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He didn't say only this group of people or only that group of people or only if you have this much money or only if you don't have this much money. No, he just said whosoever. Because in the eyes of God, all men are created equal. Then we said this, that we are endowed by their creator. Uh, Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. Now God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Who is our creator? God. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, and the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Verse 28, here it is. For in him we live. And we move and we have our beings. In him we live and we move and we have our beings. So in the creator we live. Endowed by the creator is the opportunity to live, is the opportunity to move and the opportunity to have our being. What does that look like? Well, our preamble said that we are endowed with certain unalienable rights, meaning that we cannot, they cannot be refuted. They cannot be uh, repudiated. They cannot be transferred. You have them and no one can take them from you. And here's what they are. Life. The right to life. From conception to the very old, you have the right to life. I was disturbed just the other day, and I can't even remember where I heard it, but I heard about uh, a new law that was either passed or about to be passed. I, I called, came in on the end of it, and I didn't have time to look it up before this service. Truthfully, I forgot until I got right here, but I was talking about there's a new law on abortion that basically says you can go in and have an abortion simply if you don't like the gender of your child. Has anybody else heard about that? That's what they do in nations like China. You don't like, oh, I'm having a boy. I wanted a girl. Let's get rid of this thing and start again. Where have we come? I still believe in the right to life. Then he said, 
You have the right to liberty. John chapter 8. Verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Here's the principle of the word of God. You have a right to know the truth. And when you know that truth, it will set you free. So you have a right to freedom. In this nation, we believe that we all have a right to certain liberties. We all have a right to freedom. And then finally, the, the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness for me is just simply the blessed life. Living a life. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I want to live life more abundantly. I was talking with a wonderful lady yesterday. And she was telling me a piece of her story. And uh, from the time she was 17 until however old she is now, 20-something years, she's never understood abundant life. And my question to her is, would you like to know abundant life? Abundant life isn't just about how much money you have, but it's about a state of being that starts with God. It's about a joy that comes from the Lord. We have a right to abundant life. We have to, a right to pursue that in the pursuit of the blessed life and the pursuit of happiness. You see, our nation, our government was founded upon the Bible. You could go on down to the Bill of Rights. You'll find in, in the First Amendment we have the rights to uh, the freedom of religion. I, I find it um, challenging and at times scary in our nation today that we protect the religious freedoms of everyone else except for Christians. It's, uh, we can't offend anyone who is of the Islamic faith, but at the cost we offend Christians. It makes no sense to me. There is a term that you've heard called the separation of church and state. How many of you have heard that term before? This is not a term found anywhere in our Constitution. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. It was a term later written, later coined. It was not, it was, it's nowhere in our Bill of Rights. It's nowhere to, where in our Constitution. Furthermore, it is a term that has been misconstrued and twisted and turned away from its original purpose. Uh, we could spend the whole evening tonight just doing, just doing a history lesson on the, the real meaning of when they wrote the, coined the phrase separation of church and state and what it meant. Uh, the opportunity, a, a, a couple of years ago, to sit in a meeting where a, an historian talked about this. And it was fascinating how many misconceptions even I, as a Christian believer, had about this statement, the, the separation of church and state. One day, maybe I'll try to get him to come and share with us the truths of that because it's, it would be eye-opening to recognize how far we've come from what it was originally meant to say and what we take it to mean. But again, in truth, it was, it's not even in our Constitution, separation of church and state. The truth is, it was meant to be institutional, not influential. Because our founding fathers were profoundly Christian. In a 10-year study undertaken at the University of Houston, uh, researchers examined 15,000 documents from America's founders, and they determined that 34% of their quotations came from the Bible, the highest by far, far of any source. 
34% of where they took their material from came from the Bible. Founding father and educator Noah Webster uh, had this to say, the moral principles and precepts contained in the, in the scriptures ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws. All the miseries and evils which men suffer from, vice, crime, ambition, injustice, oppression, slavery, and war, proceed from their despising or neglecting the precepts contained in the Bible. These are founding fathers. So the question then becomes, again, is America a Christian nation? And are Americans Christian? Well, 80% today of Americans claim they're Christians. 40% of Americans attend service on a weekly basis. 56% of Americans say that they pray on a weekly basis. Barely 5%, but there's barely 5% of our nation that is of another religion. I believe we're a Christian nation. It has been said that America has never been a Christian nation and that our fathers were a bunch of atheists, agnostics, and deists. But consider the facts. At least 50 of the 55 framers of the U.S. Constitution were Christians. Every single American president has taken his oath on the Bible and has referenced God in his inaugural address. Everyone of the 50 state constitutions call on God for support. The Supreme Court in 1892, after an exhaustive 10-year study of the matter, said, this is a religious people. This is a Christian nation. Even today, the Supreme Court opens each session with a verbal declaration, God save the United States of America. John Jay, the first Chief Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, said this, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers and did his duty, as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. John Jay, first Chief Justice. John Quincy Adams said it like this, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this, it connected in one indissoluble band the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. John Quincy Adams said, the greatest thing about the American Revolution was it combined the principles of civil government with Christianity and put them in one. But I believe in America we need another great, Amer- uh, uh, great awakening. There was one in 1740, one in 1780, one in 1850. The great term, great awakening, is used to refer to several periods of religious revival in American religious history. Historians and theologians identify three or four waves of increased religious enthusiasm occurring between the early 18th century and the late 19th century. Each of these great awakenings was characterized by widespread revivals led by evangelical Protestant ministers. A sharp increase of interest in religion, a profound sense of conviction and redemption on the part of those affected, an increase in evangelical church membership and the formation of new religious movements and denominations. I believe that it's due time that America see another great awakening. And I'm praying that it starts soon. So the conclusion is this. What, What can we do? Pastor, what can we do? Well, the first thing you can do is you can be an authentic Christian. 
told you a moment ago, it starts with us. It starts with us as individuals and then families and then churches and then cities and communities and cities and so on. Be an authentic Christian. Be real. I'm not asking you to be uh, some super spiritual out in the clouds person. I'm asking you to be authentic. I'm asking you to be like Jesus was. I'm not asking you to push away the world and live in a cocoon of Christianity because Jesus didn't do that. I'm asking you to go into the world and be authentic. I'm asking you, number two, to be an influence on your community. It's easy to be a Christian when your whole world is the church, but at some point we have to go into the community and influence. Number three, I'm asking you to pray for another great American awakening. I want to pray for America tonight. and Our choir is going to come, our team is going to come, and they're going to sing for us, God bless America, and then we're going to close this evening with a prayer for our nation. Proverbs 29 says, When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. I want the righteous to thrive. I want the God of our nation to be the Lord. So we say, God, please bless America. Send revival to every home, to every church, to every street. We're praying, giving thanks for what God has done in our country. We're asking that a wave of repentance would sweep across this land. We're asking God for wisdom for our leaders. God bless America.